Well, amen, and thank you, Kim. Thank you, choir. I want to issue a second welcome to you this morning. I overlooked several things in my first. You do have a bulletin, and in that bulletin there are many important announcements. Miss Wendy, for those of you who know Miss Wendy, who prepares wonderful meals around here, she threatened me. I'm just kidding. She didn't. But she wanted me to let you know that you can begin purchasing your tickets for the Thanksgiving meal. And it is a fantastic meal. I think it's capped at 350 people, and we filled that up last year. So be sure to get your ticket early and plan to join us on Tuesday, November the 22nd for that. Secondly, uh, right after remembering to welcome the families of those who are being baptized, I then forgot to welcome Kent Basham's family. So wherever the Bashams are, would you stand for a moment? If you're still here, praise the Lord. Finally, the baptistry is warm. I mean, it is very warm. So when we conclude our service this morning, as we do every service, there will be an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And perhaps it would be that the day of your salvation would also be the day of your baptism. I certainly don't mind getting back in the pool. It's warm and uh, actually quite comfortable. And it would be a, a delight to begin and end a worship service with a baptism, would it not? So for those of you who uh, are not yet believers in Christ, if the Lord is tugging at your heart and urging you to repent of your sin and believe the gospel, today is the day of salvation. So 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Uh, I need to open uh, with a word of prayer. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, but uh, I need the Lord's help this morning to deliver this message, and I, I need to, to ask Him to help me. Lord, we love You. And we live in interesting days and in challenging times. God, we're so thankful that You've given us the blessing of being able to live in these United States of America. And we pray, God, that you would help us to know how to exercise wise and good stewardship of all that you've given to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As some of you know, I spent my early 20s working in politics. I worked in a U.S. congressional race and a U.S. Senate race. And at the time, although I was running from God's call to preach the gospel, my work was still motivated by my understanding that freedom isn't free, that it costs somebody something for us to be free. That's true spiritually and it's true physically as well. We cannot take the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans for granted. Neither should we take the freedoms that we enjoy as Christians for granted, for both have been purchased by others for us. And as I was laboring in the political arena... I was particularly interested in the freedom of religion, in that freedom that is prized and cherished in the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights, the freedom of religion and the free exercise thereof. The freedom of religion, as you may know, is a distinctively Baptist contribution to our country. It is included in Article 17 of our church's constitution. 
in the section regarding our confession of faith. I want to read that for you to let you know what we as a church confess about religious liberty. I think it's helpful to know in these times what we say about religious liberty. God alone is Lord of the conscience, and He has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are contrary to His word or not contained in it. Church and state should be separate. The state owes to every church protection and full freedom in the pursuit of its spiritual ends in providing for such freedom. No ecclesiastical group or denomination should be favored by the state more than others. Civil government being ordained by God, it is the duty of Christians to render loyal obedience thereto in all things not contrary to the revealed will of God. The church should not resort to the civil power to carry out its work. The gospel of Christ contemplates spiritual means alone for the pursuit of its ends. The state has no right to impose penalties for religious opinions of any kind. The state has no right to impose taxes for the support of any form of religion. A free church in a free state is the Christian ideal, and this implies the right of free and unhindered access to God on the part of all men and the right to form and propagate opinions in the sphere of religion without interference by any civil power. Growing up in the Massachusetts colony, a man named Isaac Bacchus was required to be a part of the Congregational Church. You see, those who were fleeing religious oppression in England left England to come to America with their own brand of Christianity, but when they did, rather than leaving the state out of what church you should be a part of, guess what they did? They set up state-sponsored churches of the denomination that they were a part of. So, Isaac Bacchus had the misfortune of being in Massachusetts and coming to the understanding, interestingly enough, through the preaching of the congregational church, that he needed not to just be born to a Christian family, he needed to be born again by God himself. And so, somewhere as a young boy out in a field, he is considering his own sin, not the sin of his parents or anyone else, but his own sin and his obligation towards God. And he cries out to God for forgiveness and repentance. And there in that field, he is transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. And he comes to understand that everyone must be born again. You can't just go to church and be a Christian. So, Bacchus was baptized by immersion, as we just witnessed, upon his conversion to show the whole world his own faith in Christ. But Bacchus had a problem. He was now a Baptist in a congregational colony. He argued... Therefore, that everyone should be able to glorify God in every aspect of his life without fear of government interference or persecution, that the congregationalists around him should be okay with him being a Baptist preacher. Eventually, he would travel south to meet James Madison, and he would urge James Madison to include in the Bill of Rights, as the First Amendment, the freedom of religion. Isaac Bacchus, a Baptist preacher, along with John Leland, a Virginia Baptist preacher, were instrumental in getting the First Amendment into the United States Constitution. The freedom of religion is a distinctively Baptist contribution to these United States of America. 
We understand this morning that we are blessed to live in a country where the state is not supposed to regulate what we believe, where we believe, or how we believe it. We recognize that we're blessed to be able to have a voice in the state which governs us. And we understand this morning that we cannot take our current freedoms for granted. The question then for before us this morning is not who we should vote for. I'll not be endorsing any candidate, any person, any party. I simply want to explain to you God's Word about what He says good government is. So I will not answer the question this morning, who should you vote for? I won't do that next week or the week after. I will only answer this question, what should we be seeking or hoping for when we vote? What should we be after when we vote? I believe in 1 Peter we see three things that we should be considering as we vote as Christians this November. First, as Christians who have a voice in our government, we should vote for good government. Verses 13 through 15. Secondly, we should vote for government that leaves us the most free to be slaves to God. And finally, we must do what is right even if we suffer for it. First, we should vote for good government. The government we elect is the government to which we are commanded in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, to submit. So it only makes good sense that we would want to vote for a good government because the government we get is the government we are commanded, not, not given an option, it's the government we are commanded to submit ourselves to. The word for submission means to come under the authority of another. When the election's over... We submit to every human institution. We come under the authority of our government. Why? For the Lord's sake, or literally in the Greek, on the account of the Lord. God expects it, He commands it, He demands it, and it gives witness to Him. If we can follow earthly authority, it points to the fact that we have regard for the supreme authority. When we act as honorable citizens, paying all of our taxes, yes, even on those cash tips, Obeying the speed limits, yes, I said it, obeying the speed limits. Getting our cars inspected on time, using our nonprofit status here at North Roanoke, not just for ourselves, but to bless others, and not totally losing it at the DMV. That's, that, one's, that one was for me. Uh, the Lord is honored. And look at verse 15. Those who wish to speak ill of us are silenced as foolish men. In other words, our submission to the governing authorities is a form of worship. It glorifies Christ. It is for the Lord's sake. And it is a form of witness. It silences those who want to undermine the church by saying, look, they're just a bunch of bad citizens like everybody else. No matter what happens on November the 8th, church, we should be model citizens, not seeking or picking fights, but as Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 11 and 12, make it your ambition, I love this, make it your ambition, like you're going to go do something gung-ho great, make it your ambition what? To lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. Why? So you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. According to verse 15, we are to do good or to do right. We want to live in such a way that the world will say of us, I don't know what we would do without all those Christians. 
They never make any trouble. They pay their taxes. They're always helping others. Our country is stronger because they are here. Would to God that the Roanoke Valley, that the Roanoke Council, the Roanoke Commission, the Roanoke City School Board, the Roanoke County School Board, the Botetourt County School Board, the Bonnet the Botetourt Council, the Salem City Council, the Salem City School Board, would to God that these councils, that these governing authorities, that these institutions would have to say, I don't know what we would do without all these Christians. Peter assumes that the governing authorities are given a basic purpose. The punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Romans 13.3 says something similar. Government, government is not a cause for, of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Proverbs 11, verse 10. Proverbs has much to say about government, but if you could summarize it in a verse, Proverbs 11, verse 10 is a pretty good one. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there is glad shouting. In other words, a good government is going to reward good behavior and it's going to punish or at least discourage bad behavior. Good government encourages good behavior and discourages bad behavior. Key phrase, with impartiality. If there's one other thing that Proverbs has to say about good government, it is this. The government is best when it governs like Christ. It doesn't pick and choose winners and losers based on the color of their skin or their socioeconomic status. It just does it based on people. It's not red and yellow and black and white systems of justice. It is one system of justice applied uniformly with integrity across the board. Good government encourages good behavior and discourages bad behavior. Why? Because it blesses all of its citizens and advances the country forward. Real freedom is found, therefore, where good and evil are acknowledged and the people in power know the difference. Real freedom is found where good and evil are acknowledged and the people in power know the difference. So what does that mean, church, for us? It means that some of you seated in this room who are still pondering what it is that God might call you to do, some of you God might raise up to actually run for office. We, we often say, oh, politics is a dirty business. It's tainted. Well, that may be true as far as it goes, but... How do we untaint government? How do we untaint politics? We don't sit back and look down our noses and say, look at all the bad things in government. We go make a difference. Run for, do like Sheriff Eric Orange. He ran for sheriff. Do like his wife Beverly. She's running for school board. So let us be careful as parents and grandparents not to lampoon or lambast the government to the point that we say to our children that serving in government is bad. Serving in government is good, and the way that you get good government is you put good people in government. A vote for good government, then. A government that fulfills its God-given purposes. A government that punishes evil and promotes good. A vote for good government, hear this, is a vote to love your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and it is a vote to love your neighbor as yourself because the implications of what we vote for will not just have a bearing on us and our kids and our grandkids, it will have a bearing on our neighbors as well. We are loving our neighbors when we vote and plead and urge others to vote for good government. Secondly, we should vote for government that leaves us the most free to be slaves to God. We should vote for government that leaves us the most free 
to be slaves to God. In verse 16, Peter tells us we should use our status as free people, meaning spiritually free, free from sin and guilt and trying to earn God's favor like the Pharisees. We've been given God's favor in Christ. We should use that freedom to give ourselves back to God as his bondservants or his slaves. As a result, what then should we do, church? We should vote for a government that acknowledges our spiritual freedom to obligate ourselves to God in spiritual areas. To freely give ourselves to God and others on God's terms. In verse 17, Peter continues this thought by commanding us to honor all people, honor those in authority, and to love the church and fear God. We do not use our freedom, church, for selfish gain, but for the sake of others. We do not submit to governing authorities just to be able to say, look, I submitted. We do it as a matter of honor and respect for them. Human beings made in God's image and given authority by God. And we use our spiritual freedom in Christ also for the sake of the love of the brethren and the fear of God, our maker and our master. Notice that we are commanded to honor the authorities, but to fear God. When the king seeks to undermine the authority that is due only the king of kings, we must, as Peter says in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. As the church, we vote for government that leaves us the most free to assemble as we have this morning and directly serve one another and others in a manner that is consistent with our biblical convictions. Finally, we must do what is right even if we suffer. We must do what is right even if we suffer. In the United States of America, our government has become less appreciative in recent years of the freedom of religion. You may have noticed that politicians are beginning to use the words freedom of worship rather than freedom of religion. Now, why are they doing that? Because there are some in power today to whom we still obey, we still owe our submission, but there are some in authority today who want to restrict the freedom of religion and boil it down only to what you can do in a church or in the privacy of your home. The government wants to regulate religion anywhere in the public square, which is never what was intended by our framers, and it is not what is allowed by God. We are intended, we are made to give God the glory in all of our lives, which means on, at the workplace, when we're volunteering, when we're driving in our car, everything we are to do is to be done for the glory of God. And there are certain things that the state cannot touch. The state can't tell me not to share the gospel. The state can't tell me what to preach and what not to preach. The state can't tell us what to put on our website and what not to put on our website. Perhaps you're a little skeptical about this freedom and where it's heading in our country. Let me just share with you a few things that have happened in the last couple of years. In California, it's been proposed that students attending Christian colleges and universities cannot receive state or Pell grants to go to a Christian college or university. Christians who own wedding-related businesses have been penalized for not servicing gay weddings. 
Businesses have been forced to pay for abortions and abortion-causing drugs. And in Massachusetts, a law right now is being amended to prohibit speech that discriminates or incites discrimination, which will apply to church staff offering biblical teaching about God's design for men, women, and human sexuality. Violators could be fined $2,500 and face up to one year in prison or both. This is being litigated right now in Massachusetts. We must be ready to do what is right, even if we must suffer. Because even with the threat of penalty from the state, the state does not have a claim on our conscience. Look at verse 18. Excuse me, verse 19. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. How, when, or where we worship, what we believe, what we teach our children, who uses the bathrooms at North Roanoke Baptist Church, who we will marry, who we will, who we will employ to serve in our church. These decisions are not subject to the authority of the state, and we will not surrender such decisions to the authority of the state. As Walls writes, submission to authority does not involve actions that are sinful or contrary to the Word of God. The believer is to obey except when commanded to sin, the king of kings always trumps the king of the land. The Bible records for us several instances of civil disobedience as praiseworthy. Paul, who writes to Christians in Rome to obey the government, would later write, incidentally, from a Roman prison. The Israelite midwives defied in order to kill the newborn sons of Israelite women. Why? Because they feared God more than they feared the Pharaoh. Daniel refused to eat the king's food, and later he refused to pray to the king because he feared God more than man. The disciples died as martyrs because they refused to stop sharing the gospel. North Roanoke Baptist Church, we will not stop sharing. We will not stop living the gospel no matter what the state has to say about it because our conscience is beholding not to the king, but to the king of kings. As your pastor, I want us to live in a free society with the greatest liberties possible to share and show the gospel to our neighbors. I want to be known as the very best citizens in the Roanoke Valley. I want people to say, what would we do without North Roanoke Baptist Church? And if while we are attempting to do that, I must go to jail for preaching the gospel or preaching what God has said about marriage, then so be it. Peter understands there are times when we cannot submit to every human institution because the institution acts outside of the parameters of the authority that God has placed on it. This is the implication of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. If it is better, it is better rather, if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. In verse 20, he tells us that such suffering finds favor with God. Whether and how we vote North Roanoke Baptist Church matters greatly. And what I want to urge you to do, not just in this election, but in every election, is make the very most we possibly can for the gospel out of the freedoms that we now enjoy. 
Don't, don't throw in the towel on freedom just because the world seems to be getting more complicated. Leverage the freedoms that we presently have to issue forth a vote for good government, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your church, for the sake of your neighbors, and ultimately for the sake of all nations. Let's not waste the freedoms that we now have. I often wonder what we would do differently now if we knew what it is like to have to be a Christian in secret. If we really understood what it was like for those Christians gathering in China today. If we really understood what it was like to be on the run as ISIS runs through your city and destroys Christian artifacts that are thousands of years old. If we really understood, like the Christian pastor who stood by and watched as his 12-year-old son refused to denounce the name of Christ as every single one of his fingertips was removed, and then he was crucified. If we really understood the freedom that we now have to assemble and to praise our King and to give witness to what He has done in our lives. If we could stare into what it costs our brothers and sisters around the world to serve Jesus, wouldn't we serve Him more? Wouldn't we share the gospel more? Wouldn't we have an urgency that characterizes our lives that we would not become complacent and just come to church yet another Sunday and check it off our box? Wouldn't we give our lives for the gospel if we could peer into what it is costing our brothers and sisters around the world? to name the name of Jesus and to stand fast in the face of the worst and most horrific possible persecution. I dare say we would. So what ought we to do, North Roanoke Baptist Church? Let's love God. Let's love our neighbors. And let's vote for good government. Let's vote for government that protects its citizens and leaves them free to worship God in every aspect of their lives. And that's not just a presidential race. It's presidential races and congressional races and senatorial races and commissioner races and local school board. Be informed. Know what's going on. And understand that a failure to be informed and a failure to vote does indeed have consequences. Let's love God. Let's love neighbor. And no matter what comes, let's be willing to give ourselves for Christ who so freely gave Himself for us. Would you pray with me? God, as we come to the end of this service, which we opened with a baptism and we close with the Lord's Supper, God, as our, our deacons begin to make preparations even now, cause us to remember that we are celebrating the crucifixion of the Son of God. God, that You are not unfamiliar with the high cost of obedience. That Jesus for the glory set before Him, despised the shame of the cross and would not be deterred, was unrelenting in obeying the Father perfectly in the power of the Holy Spirit in order that we could be saved and that we could worship. And God, You have made us one family through Your one Son 
in his flesh and by his blood. So we praise you and thank you for the privilege of being called your people. And we ask God for your grace, grace not to take it for granted. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.